Welcome to the Pest Control Millionaire, where we talk about strategies and tactics so you guys can go create your own million dollar pest control business. Uh, today, I have one of my new friends. I met him recently in the past week. Um, he's a stud. Actually, one of our friends introduced together said, hey, you two need to chat. You need to get Jared on the podcast. And so I said, absolutely. Let's connect. Connected with him just as I was leaving to go to dinner. So I reached back out to him. Hey, hey you really want to do this? He said, heck yeah. So uh, Jared's a stud. He's got a hell of a company going on down there, but I'll let him tell you more about it. Again, uh, Jared, welcome to the show, and I'm happy to have you here. Yeah, thank you, Jonas, so much for getting me on, man. I really appreciate it. Um, <clears throat> met you down there in Tampa at uh, Pest Daily's event. That was a great event, man. It was it was great. So uh, anyway, Jared Lajani, I'm the founder and owner of Lajani's Pest Control. We service uh, all of Southeast Louisiana. We do what we call a Bayou region. We service New Orleans, Baton Rouge, and the North Shore or Slidell Covington area of Southeast Louisiana. Um, we've been in business 15 years now, and uh, we've been fortunate enough to scale to about 65 uh, employees. And uh, we have a BHAG, man, a big BHAG. To, we're, we're trying to get within the next seven to maybe eight years where we got a BHAG of 25 million. So we have a, we have a big goal we're, we're shooting for. I love it. I love it. Why don't you take us back? Like, so Jared, if you were in high school, right? You now are junior, sophomore, junior in high school. Who is Jared back in the day? Oh man, a junior high school, man, that, that is a good question. <laughs> uh, I played football in high school, right? But I wasn't really a uh, very good. So I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't a jock, but Played football just because I think all my cousins and everybody did. So I kind of just played football. I actually dropped out of high school in uh, 11th grade, actually. And um, yeah, I actually started with Arkin when I was 19 years old. Aha. <laughs> Got it. So uh, when you were, when you dropped out of high school, did you drop out because you didn't like school? Maybe you had some bad habits? Like, What, what was your upbringing like? Oh man! So my uh, my my mom and dad own a salvage yard, and uh, when I was growing up, my dad was always involved in different entrepreneurial things. Right? Like I remember being a kid, he was in Amway. Dude, my my dad was Market America. So I get it. There you go. So my family's always had an entrepreneurial uh, spirit a little bit, and uh, so I think that's kind of where that that came from. That's really cool. And so you started off Orkin right away. What made you go to Orkin route? Like we're just Man, you know, so I got married when I was 19 and had my first kid at 19. And quite frankly, um, you know, I don't think anybody, we have this conversation with a lot of people. I don't know if anybody ever dreams of, you know, I'm going to be a pest control guy one day, right? <laughs> no. But, but uh, in my situation, I just, I mean, I had a new wife and a new kid and I needed a job and I put applications and Arkin hired me uh, as a termite tech for $10 an hour. And I was super excited and uh, I, I needed a job and I went to work for him and uh, went through the ranks, right? Started as a termite tech, became a pest control tech, salesman, sales manager, branch manager, just went went through ranks with him. Gotcha. And how long were you at with Orkin for? I was with Orkin for about, let's see, yes, maybe about five or six years, maybe seven and then uh, I got recruited by a local company to uh, go and run a small million dollar operation in a town I was operating in. So I left Arkin to go manage that company. And I did that for about two years. And then in uh, January 1st, 2008, I, uh, I started my own. Gotcha. So the transition from Orkin, obviously you learned a ton working from from those guys, you brought it. You brought that experience to the next company. What made you leave Orkin to go work for that smaller local company? Man, you are asking some questions that are so. For, I have to. I have to throw this out before I get into the real answer because uh, I'm so thankful for Orkin. I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today without Orkin. Their their industry leaders uh, in every branch is different, and uh, it all starts uh, with leadership. Right, uh, it rises and falls with leadership. However, I'll, I won't get too much into details of it because at one time I was an Arkin guy. I drank the Kool-Aid like I was all Arkin, like lived, breathed it and, and fought for it. But there were some things that happened I won't dig into that um, 
I didn't find had high integrity and I did not like in that particular branch. And it um, persuaded me to take this other opportunity, leaving this other small company for a very huge pay cut, to be honest. I was just going to ask my next question. I'm sure you took a massive pay cut to go work for that company because they're relatively small. It's funny how God lines things up because I don't think I could have ever done what I'm doing now and starting my own company if I wouldn't have had the experience of completely running another company for somebody else. Because although Arkin taught me a lot, I probably learned more in two years about actually how to run a business from going to that other small company. Even though it was a huge pay cut, it was much more valuable in the long run for me. Explain that to me. So like, give me some tangible items there. Uh, were you running the P&L at that point? Yeah. So at Arkin, you know, at the branch manager level, you are doing, you're turning in P&Ls, you know, some business stuff. But uh, you're when you're with a big corporate carpenter, you're under the umbrella of that company, right? You have a big budget, you have a regional manager, it kicks up, you just have a, you have a bunch of help. And I mean, you're working for a conglomerate, right? Uh, when you go to a million dollar company, you're it. So you're on a, you're doing everything, right? You're running, you're dealing with the employees. Uh, this company was one of the old school companies. They didn't even have KPIs. He wasn't even doing a PL. I had to create all that. Like probably no software. Probably all yeah, on paper and exactly. pen. They had no software. Everything was paper. There were no contracts. I think at the time that company they were like still twenty dollars a month and you know, the, the techs were scheduling. And if somebody was like, oh, don't come today, they were like, no problem. My skips. It's a long story. But anyway, it was a uh, it wasn't the best. We, we over the years, we got it turned around in that small company. But when we got there, it was much different than Arkin. That's all I can say. It was hard learned lessons that that really uh, helped me when I started my own company. For sure. So the, you worked there for two years. Uh, were you able to grow that company while you were, as you were there? Yeah, we definitely were able to scale that one to, I think, about 2.5 to 3 in that two-year point. And they have they sold many years back now. Gotcha. Um, I actually, I'm going to switch it up for a little bit because I have a question. We're in a good spot. I have a question from a listener, and he is 33 years old. He's been working for this company for five years. Kind of what you said. It's kind of old school. No systems. There's no KPIs. Owners think about retiring in five years, but he's stuck. He's ready to bootstrap his own. Go and start, you know, he's got a kid, got a wife. So I said, do you have any money saved? So he got a little money saved to go do this. His wife makes good money. So financially they're okay. Does he wait? And the question was, does he wait the five years to buy his current player out? Or does he go, does he go hustle his way through? I said, I'll, I'll let you answer this before I give you my response. Um, I'm going to, can I thank that guy for that question? I'm, I'm going to try to not be too long on this, but he's really just hitting on my heartbeat. Like one of the things I love to do is try to encourage other entrepreneurs because it's been so life-changing for me. So I don't know his opportunity to buy out the other guy or what that is. If I knew more details, I could explore that. Yeah. They're roughly like uh six to 800,000 revenue. Yeah. So, I mean, if he has an opportunity to negotiate that and make that happen, It'd be a great jump start for him. And if the guy's willing to work with him and he can go that route, great. But it's been my experience, especially if it's a family owned business, man, that's going to be difficult negotiating that. It could just be a cluster. And, you know, it's, there's a lot of stuff I'd have to know before I could really tell him to do that. So I'm going to go this route, not not having all the information there. I'm going to say, just do it. <laughs> go for it. It's going to be hard. It would be worth it. It'll, it's going to take longer than he thinks, cost more than he thinks, and uh, be much more difficult than he thinks. But, you know, you, ha you have to do it. You have to jump out there, man. Uh, you know, if you're ever going to break through that ceiling, you have to take those chances. You have to jump. It's scary, but you have to go for it. I never forgot when I was first going into business, I went and talked to my pastor and I was so scared. I was like, man, should I do this? Should I do that? And he's like, Jared, if you take this and you go out on your own, uh, I cashed in my 401k from Arkin and bootstrapped it from the ground up, right? That's how I got started. And uh, he was like, if you fail, what's the worst thing that can happen? And I was like, man, well, if I try this and I fail, the only thing that happens when I really thought about it is I'm right back where, where I was at. I can go get another job with Arkin or Terminex. So if I fail, basically I've been pretty poor most of my life. And if I fail, I'll just be poor again. I'll just still be poor. Not a whole lot to lose. 
there, right? The best thing that can happen is you try and you push through and you have success. And man, you know, the older we get, the more difficult it is to have that ambition to push forward. So you're 33, man, do it. Go for it. Uh, it's going to be hard, but man, get it. Go try. At least try. You'll at least sleep better even if you fail, which I'm not saying you will. But even if you fail, you'll feel better having tried and failed than never tried at all. I love that answer. Um, and this kind of ties us right back to where we left off. Now where you, you're at this small company, did a million dollars, got a 2.5. Now you say, hey, I'm going to go start my own. Again, we know how hard it is from day one. Like the, those first two, three years are brutal. Walk us through that because this is right where he's going to be at. Yeah. So, I mean, man, that, the first days, right? You go buy a used truck, you throw some magnets on the truck. Uh, you don't have a lot of money. So, I mean, you're really bootstrapping everything. That's really where it gets tough. And then you go from having a paycheck to where if you don't create some money, you have no no paycheck. So uh, it's scary. But I tell you what, it's one heck of a motivator <laughs> to go to go and do it. You know, and then if you have a wife and a kid, man, it's so scary. But you're either going to do one thing is you're either going to sub- you're either going to succumb to the fear or you're going to be super motivated and you're going to go out there to get it. And you can either let the fear shut you down or you can choose to use it as motivation and go out there and grind. But uh, what I've done is, uh, man, I, I hit all the uh, in Louisiana. It's a law that you have to have a slab pre-treated before you build a house. So I really just relentlessly called every contractor in my town and basically begged them to let me do their pre-treats. No kidding. And um, door knocked every day. I uh, when I was with Arkin at one point, I worked with a door knocking team. And so I had a lot of experience door knocking, knowing how to door knock. So for the first year or two, I mean, I did it just like I was taught with that splat team back in the day. I didn't I didn't have the money to hire door knockers. So I personally door knocked. I mean, I know you do some door knocking. So I mean, I gritted it out. I had the maps. I mean, I, I did it right. Door knocked, hung door hangers, uh, stopped at every business. I mean, you know the story, man. You really just got to wake up every day. Put your uniform on, even when you have nowhere to go and find somewhere to go and just do that every day until, until your phone starts ringing so much that you don't know what to do with it. Right. So your first year, you're hustling. Uh, at what point does it start to get a little easier on you? Is it what, when did you get your first technician? Man, first of all, hire your first technician. Don't do nothing but make it harder. That's when your problems start. It's when you hire your first employee. It's, it's a grind until you get to that point. But it's actually easier when you're by yourself. Once you start hiring your first employee or your, your first people, now you're really starting to have fun and it gets really hard and complicated. And then once again, you're going to make less money when you start hiring people than you do when you're working by yourself. But uh, but if you have a mindset of wanting to grow, you have to. That's what you have to do. Right. And for me, I really had a conversation of am I going to be a, a one man op or I'm going to scale and for me, it was the fear of, you know, I can make a good living as a one man operator. But if I get sick or I get hurt or something happens, I am this company. And if something happens to me, I have no company. I'm, I'm over with. So that fear drove me to to scale and hire employees. And probably when I was about at, I want to say maybe three hundred and fifty or four hundred thousand, I hired my first employee. And my first employee actually was an office manager because that was my weakness. I was good at sales and technical and operations. I was weak at the office manager. So my first hire was an office manager. I love that. And now here's the second question to respond to what you said about hiring your first employee. Is it easier to run a big company or is it easier to run a small company? (laughs) (laughs) So it's easier now today, like right now, like this year, okay? It's still very hard and very difficult. I don't know if it ever gets easy, right? As long as you have the weight and the responsibility of it, it's always going to be some pressure and it's going to be difficult. But yes, as you scale, if you do it the right way, if you put the right people in the right place with the systems, if you're able to disconnect yourself from your business and actually manage it from a high level and pull yourself out that day to day, which is very difficult for founders. And any founders out there know what I'm talking about. That's one of the hardest things you can do. If you can do those things, it becomes easier. If you can't, it'll just suck you in deeper and deeper and it will feel like it's just getting harder and harder. Does that make sense? Sure makes sense to me. And I agree. I agree with you because, again, at this point in my career, it's way easier 
to run the business than it used to be as a smaller company where people think like, oh, it's so hard. Like, why would I want to get bigger? It's going to be even harder. Uh, for a while, like you said, Jared, it, it is harder to get to a point where you start getting some infrastructure and some and develop some really good people and get the leaders in place. And it gets a lot easier. Again, we still have struggles. Like you said, um, our problems are a lot bigger than they used to be. They cost us a lot more money if we do make mistakes. So there's things like that. Um, but I agree though. Now, when you're building your team out um, and you're going to scale, what are what, what have been your most important key hires for yourself? Uh, for me, along the way, my one my well, my second hire was a termite tech because uh, well, that's hard labor, and I didn't want to do it anymore. Right in Louisiana, we do a lot of termite work, so at the time, uh, you know, it was a lot of digging trenches, crawling underneath houses. I hired a termite tech, but on the big scale, as we grew. What really made the difference once we got past, you know, of course, it's a lot of work and scale. You hire your termite tech, your pest control techs, and that's that's your people, that's your culture, that's your business. But what really, as we got bigger, what made more of an impact was the people I added to my leadership team. So, like, right now we have a director of operations. We have an HR guy. I have a sales manager. I have an inside sales manager. So, I have a team of about... Uh, let me get the right number, about six of us, including my wife, who still acts as the acting CEO of Lajani's. And those six people, we really were, we were always intentional on our hires, but we really, uh, really took our time to get the right people in those seats and having that leadership team and uh, empowering them made the biggest impact in helping us scale and, and making it easier, quite honestly. So you said seats. You guys follow like EOS or something? We do follow EOS. Yep. Yeah. So do we. Uh, definitely one of those game changers for us too, right? Did you hire an implementer? Dude. Yeah, we did. Uh, I'm an EOS fan right now. They they call me the visionary. So I'm still learning how to be a visionary. But uh, like most true visionaries, when you first get into EOS, which I'm a big fan, I recommend it. It's terrible because for me, it didn't move fast enough. It tried to put me in a structure, which I hate, right? And it, it, it held everyone else accountable. So it took me a, a couple of years to really buy into EOS. But over time, I would I wish I'd have started earlier because it really did help us uh, have structure, hold accountability in our team, and help move us forward. So I, I highly recommend the EOS program. So your wife is acting CEO and yours and your president slash visionary. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah. She's, she's the integrator. I'm the visionary. She's the integrator. Gotcha. And what roles are you over? Are you over? Do you have any role, like any seats that you're over still? Not right now, man. Uh, I recently kind of pulled back out of the business and probably for the first time in my life, not in my, well, yeah, maybe in my life, or at least since I started my company, I kind of uh, just for the last six months kind of pulled out and been like uh, doing some uh, like like uh, waking up, like reading the 5 a.m. club. I'm waking up at five o'clock. I'm working out. I'm reading my Bible. I'm meditating. So a miracle morning. Yeah, I'm joining like a bunch of social groups. I'm getting out and networking, kind of doing that kind of stuff and um, not really in the day to day of the business. I still meet with my leadership team once a week and I'm in those meetings. But that's about it. And I still uh, meet once a week with my wife. We do a one-on-one, the same page, kind of share my ideals and the direction I want the company to go. But I'm very fortunate as of this moment, I'm not in the day-to-day right now. It's awesome. Good for you. Congratulations. Uh, you said you're, you're starting to network a lot more, getting your face out there, probably while you're doing some podcasting. What's the, what's the, what's the take on that? So I just... Uh, I don't know, man. I just enjoy the networking. So like I joined the local Thibodeau Chamber. Uh, I saw that. Cool. Yeah, I joined the BNI group. Uh, I'm joining uh, Entrepreneurs Organization, EO. Um, we just got into, uh, or I think we're about to go in another group called Associated Pest, which I'm really excited about. Uh, we hired a director of operations who used to run a small company in Baton Rouge that sold out to the big boys and he was in that associated and uh, he's, he's excited. We're getting in that and just a way to still be able to contribute to the business and network and help build our reputation. Uh, and, um, and also give back, you know, like being on the chamber and other organizations like that. Uh, I'm able sometimes to find some, some young entrepreneurs and mentor them and help them. And I really, I really just enjoy doing that. Me too. I love that. Um, 
one of my favorite parts about this, about where I'm at today. Um, we were at the energy event last week and there's some, a lot of great speakers. What was your top few takeaways? Would you say from that conference? It was being in the room with those people. First of all, I mean, you were there. It was the, it was what I found to be the giants of our industry, right? I mean, they had, uh, you know, the truly Nolan CEO in there, Sirtis, you were there. I mean, these guys were doing a hundred, hundred, I think one guy, $170 million in revenue. And uh, a couple of guys I met doing 25, 30, $40 million in revenue. So it was really cool to be in the room and I did a lot more listening than talking, right? Like I was just, I was just absorbing it. So I had a lot, it was inspirational, a lot of motivation and just a lot of ideals. Uh, but I found like everybody kind of said the same thing in a different way from that conference. You know, they all just said uh, integrity first, which is one of our core values in Lajani's and we, we take it serious. Uh, love your people, build into your people, help them in their career, grow them, help them have success. Uh, make decisions on your data and KPI. Don't make your decisions emotionally. If you don't know your data and your KPIs and you're just making emotional decisions and you don't know where you're going, that's can't do that. And then uh, something else that was said that stuck with me too is, although we want to love our people and build into them, a weakness for me has always been holding on to the wrong people too long because I just love people so hard. Most of us as CEOs are that way. Yeah, I'll, I'll just love people. So Seth said, you know, that's you, you want to do that. But the minute you're putting 50% into somebody and they're putting 49%, move on from that person. You can never care about somebody's career or life more than they do, right? So if they're trying to grow and they're working with you, put your all into them. But the minute that they're 49 and you're 50, move on to somebody else that has that equal passion and wants to grow for the willingness that you're willing to put into them. I love that. Um, you have something that's on your wall. Or at least on your Facebook page that we talked about the, about the conference as well. And I, I was actually the one who responded to the person who asked the question. And you said you're customer service centric. It happens, just happens to be great at killing bugs. And they're like, they, they asked the question, they're like, what industry are you guys in? I said, we're in the customer service industry that just happens to do pest control. I've been saying this for 10 years. Me too. Like we say that all the time. We live it, breathe it. We are a customer service company that just happens to be really good at killing bugs. And you know, as well as me, man, everybody likes to say, oh, we're the best. We are the best bug killers. We, we're the best. Well, we're all good. Let's just be honest. If we're not good at killing bugs, we're not, you're not, you're not going to be in business long. Right. So although I'm not a guy that like, you do have to be good at killing bugs. And we spend a lot of money, time and effort making sure we are. But we're actually more focused on the people, the customer experience, the customer service, right? Uh, that That's what we try to focus on more than just being the best bug killers out there. I love that. And then for the listeners, can you, uh, maybe you and I both, can you give them some tangible items to take away from the customer service and every touch point they may have with your technicians or your, your CSRs or emails or text messages? There's so much. So like... Of course, we're using training and talking about energy and smiling We're on the phone. It all starts on the front lines with that CSR, hiring the right person, making sure they're friendly. We over communicate with email and text. We're big on appearance with our technicians as far as being dressed properly, clean trucks, right? Uh, friendly technicians. Uh, one cool thing we do, I think that's a little different, is after every stop we do the outside, our technicians record a video on their cell phone and text a video of them standing in front of that customer's house saying, hey, Miss Jones, thank you for your business. We knocked down your wasp nest or killed some fire ants in your yard today. Have a nice day. Text that video to the customer after every stop and we hold them accountable to doing that. We uh, will send gifts to customers at different touch points. We'll send swag, socks, cookies, whatever. We're, uh, we offer, we guarantee same day service, both on initials and callbacks. We guarantee it, right? And I could go on and on, but we, we really are trying to do all kinds of things to be mindful of making the best customer experience possible. I love that. Um, and you know, those, those same days, uh, whether it's a callback or whether it's uh, an initial, they can add up fast. So to stay on top of that is hard enough on itself. Um, so that's great. And we try to do the same thing. Ours is within 24 hours. So if they call at five o'clock, we'll be there by five o'clock the next day. That's just our guarantee as well. So I love that you guys are doing that. 
Uh, when it comes to skips, because you brought it up earlier, and then I'll switch gears after this. When it comes to skips, you talked about it a little bit. How do you guys handle skips? Because even though you guys are in the south and it's winter time, people still think it's oh, it's winter, it's cold. There's not as many bugs. How do you guys handle that? What do you guys do there? Charlie Munger, who recently passed away, said, "Show me your incentive, and I'll show you your result." So we incentivize completion rate for our tax. If they get, I think, a ninety-six percent completion rate, we'll we'll bonus them. But really, since we have gone to the, we won't take a customer without a card on file. Uh, if they don't put a card on file, they're not our customer. And I know that we may lose some customers, but not everybody is my customer, first of all, right? And so all our stops have a card on file. We do quarterly build monthly. And honestly, since we've done that program, man, we don't have a lot of skips. It's very few. Not like the old days where, you know, you would go and they pay after you do the service. If you're still running it like that, skips are going to be a problem. All you can do with that is at a certain point, show up, try to talk to the customer. But ultimately, if they turn you away, there's nothing you can do. But when that card's on file, they're paying you on the first and you call them. They've already paid you. They want you to come. There's no skips. And even if they do skip, I'm still paid anyway. Great. Please skip. I love. I wish everybody skipped. I'm still getting paid. I wish, you know, I don't even care about skips anymore. But you hear it all the time, right, with people. Like, how do you handle skips? I'm like, well, we don't really handle them. Of course, we get some, especially in the middle of winter. Like, we're still building them monthly, whether they like it or not. But they're going to just hold off the service till spring. Like, they don't see the value. Even though we try to educate them as a cus- like the customer, like, they still don't always see the value and want to push it off. So we just do. I'm going to switch gears a little bit because I saw something that was super interesting on your on your website and Facebook as well. Um, the Steri Pure Germ thing. What's that about? Is that Was that a COVID thing? Uh, this is a, it's a great question, man. So I, I, I sometimes can chase the shiny things. I've, over the years, I've done that business. I've done a demolition business. I've done a, an estate sale business. It's, it's an entrepreneur's disease. Don't do it. Stick with what you know. That's my advice. But the, the Steripeer thing is actually a win. So actually, I, I call it a God thing because six months before the pandemic hit, I started a Steripure, a company called Steripure, which was doing uh, electrostatic disinfecting. Uh, I started that six months before the pandemic. My whole leadership team laughed at me. They called me crazy. And up and I, was, I had maybe like 10 customers. My wife would be like, oh, that's a cute little thing, that little Steripure. That's awesome. And the pandemic hit. My dad was in the hospital with COVID, ironically. And I was sitting on the sofa. I never forget he had got off a cruise. It was the right when the pandemic was starting to really get in full swing. I called my sales manager and I said, hey, man, I want you to email every single one of our customers in our customer base my Steripure service of electrostatic disinfecting. He sent that email and 20 minutes after he sent that email for the next year and a half or maybe even two years, we were off to the races. My phone immediately started ringing. That Steripure business did, I think, $2 million in six months. And we got opportunities to work with companies I could have never dreamed to work with. And it was just a total God thing. I, I can't take credit for it. It was amazing. It's died off now since the pandemic's died. We kind of just a small, it doesn't do much of it anymore. But during that season, man, uh, it was just it was just amazing. It was like being, uh, we were ready to go for anybody else. So I always say it was like being the only pest control company in your town for like for like a year. Imagine if there was nobody else but you that could do something that was in high demand for a year. That's what we captured with Steripure in a season. It was just it was amazing. Yeah. What are the odds of you starting six months prior to the pandemic, not knowing and all of a sudden that's You wild. wouldn't believe me, but I, I'm a Christian. I'm a praying man. I literally had a dream. I'm not joking. I know that sounds crazy and I'm not trying to be all like like out there, but I literally had a dream started it took a lot of slack and then six months and we were ready to go right we had the infrastructure we had the equipment i had a backlog of product we had our marketing we had a website so like we literally were like prepped and this was before anybody else was doing it like there wasn't there wasn't even a thought of doing commercial disinfecting so when it hit we were on the forefront of it and were able to capitalize in a way that was just amazing yeah walk me through that so were you guys just using your backpack foggers or what were you guys doing in there no, man, uh, we, we ended up using the Victory electrostatic sprayers. But even before that, uh, ESS was a company, the big ones with big batteries. And we were, we were using those. We were using a vital oxide, right? 
And I mean, we really got technical into it. We were taking bacteria readings. We, we really got, I mean, we were doing stuff with like big oil fields and big manufacturers. Like I said, some big giant companies that would have never gave me a shot at the Chinese pest control, first of all. But they were letting me come in and spray disinfectant all over. I was like, this is this is crazy. Wow. Uh, so now on the pest, back to pest control, are you guys using like spray rigs still uh, for termites pest control? Are you using more battery powered stuff? Are you going more baits for termites? You still doing the foundation sprays? Yeah, so we've gone through the whole the whole gamut of all that. But as it sits right now, where we're staying, we're mostly um, using the flow zones backpacks for the outside for perimeter pests, and mostly Trelona ATPS on the outside. We still do have the ability to do liquid. We'll spot treat liquid, but we ninety five percent of the time are just trying to run uh, Trelona ATPS with the with the yearly annual renewal. Yeah, well, we we own three of those uh, injection machines, and we used that for a while. We still have them, and we'll use them sometimes. But yeah, uh, and I, the reason I bring that up is because I was a termite tech when I started. Remember, and there were many days when I was out there digging trenches, saying, "Man, I wish somebody would have." They got to be an easier way to do this than physically digging this trench. So when they came out with that injection machine, I was all over. I was like, "I remember digging these trenches. I'm going to get my guys these injection machines." And they came with their own challenges, and we don't use them so much right now. But for a season, we, we really were heavy in doing that, uh, that injection machine. Yeah, that's cool. Um, for marketing purposes, for you know, maybe someone just starting out or maybe they're at their first million revenue or trying to get there, uh, what marketing tactics have you guys been using and what's been working really well for you guys in your area? Marketing, there is no silver bullet. You know, Everybody's looking for that, that Hail Mary or that silver bullet. Nothing exists. It, it's it's everything. If you're going to truly have success, you have to put in the work. You have to t- constantly be watching it, constantly changing it, constantly watching what's happening with it. it it's very difficult. But to, something more practical, I guess, you know, digital. Right. We use to do a lot of GLS, a lot of Google ads, uh, we do a lot of social media, you know, and that's probably where we get the bulk of our leads from right now is from those efforts. But, you know, we're also combining that with billboards, TV advertisement. We wrap all our trucks. We have customer referral programs. We have employee referral programs. We have uh, salesmen that just hunt. Right. So and to have the, the success, it takes all of that coming together and into one thing. There's not one thing that's just going to going to get it done. Yeah, for sure. Jared, you're you're an absolute beast of a dude. Um, and I can tell. And that we have we haven't talked a lot in the past, but I can just tell you're 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 someone who gets it, right? Did you hire a coach early on? Were you figuring this out mostly yourself, or did you find someone? You were asking the best questions, really, uh, because people like again, I don't need to cut you off. People see this and they're like, "Man, this dude has sixty employees, like he's got it figured out." But also, the dude's been doing it since two thousand eight. Like, so you see the success now, but he's gone through, we, you, I have gone through so much shit to get to where we're at today. Right. But I went out there, found the coach. I, I, I found someone to teach me the right ways. Tell me how you figured it out. So we didn't make our first million. It took us nine years to make our first million dollars with Lajani's. Okay. And that was the hardest thing that I ever done is going from zero to 1 million. It took nine years. Very difficult. No coaching. I was young, full of ego and thought I knew everything. And man, it was the hardest, probably the hardest part of my life. If I'm just I'm, and most entrepreneurs, man, if you go into it, I'm do it. But it's hard. <laughs> I often say if I knew how hard it was, I might have not done it. My, my ignorance was my bliss. But the most one of the most impactful things I ever did is uh, my wife came on. We joined a mastermind group and started learning from the mastermind group got around other people having success, learn from them. And that really, and then was open-minded enough to listen and actually do what they told me and realize that they were smarter than me because they were and start implementing some of the things that these other very successful companies were doing. And now from there, you know, we make it our business to go to these, like we were in Tampa at energy, you know, we go to pest world, we stay around people that are learning and we're constantly learning and we didn't always, but today, yes, now I do have a, uh, I have an EOS coach. I have a business coach. I do have coaches, right? And we listen to them and no way we'd be doing what we're doing or where we're at 
without having surrounded ourselves with people that were doing bigger things than us and bringing in a coach and having open mindedness to listen and do some of these things that these coaches are telling us. It was a big part of our success. And I love that because uh, sometimes pride can be expensive, right? And I see a lot of these business owners, like you said, old school, super prideful. They know the ways they don't want to change and they're stuck at 250, 500,000 revenue that never break through that. But it's being having the willingness to say, hey, I don't know. I need help. Let's reach out to some of these dudes who are actually doing it, which you did, uh, obviously, and very proud of you for that. And just saying, hey, I'm actually going to implement what these guys teach me because they've been there and done it. Yeah. I remember when they first talked to me about because we were we were old school, too, at first. Right. We were we were monthly, you know, and we were not getting cards on file. Just, you know, everything that you do when you're young, you don't know any better. And I remember even being so scared and thinking, man, I can't switch my customers to quarterly. I can't ask my customers for a card on file. Uh, it was all fear. Fear is a liar. Right. Uh, as a matter of fact, I've been there so many times now that when I hear these things, even though they scare me, I run towards what scares me. And my blessings are on the other side of running towards the scary stuff. So I don't let the fear stop me anymore. Does that make does that make sense? I couldn't agree more. Like you always have those, you know, you have the one little guy in your shoulder telling you not to do something. You have the other guy, a little voice in their shot saying, go after it. I tend to lean on the guy that says, don't go do it. Cause I know that's my little bitch voice, quote unquote, like le- lean into that guy. And it, and it is hard as it may sound. And it seems it's true, but that's where you get your confidence from those small little wins. Yes, sir. What is, uh, and everything, everything looks shiny and great now, but what are some of the biggest challenges uh, Lajani's ever been through? Maybe you at a personal level too. Uh, so many challenges along the way, right? You're going to face all kinds of challenges. Uh, you know, employee theft, right? You deal with that. Hiring your friends and family and not knowing what to do and losing a lot of friends along the way. No, really, right? They don't talk about that. But we all, we all hire our friends and family and you lose a lot of friends along the way. I have a, f- a family member that I hired. I mean, very, very close relative, like as in my brother. Don't talk to him anymore. Yeah. And then the uh, the personal, you know, uh, I'm blessed to work with my wife. Uh, she's a big part of our success. I mean, she's just, man, she's incredible. She's an amazing tech. She's brilliant. She's an, uh, amazing. Really, she is. But uh, for many years, it was a huge challenge to negotiate our marriage and our personal life while simultaneously running a business together very challenging, right? Uh, could have broke this several times, but you know, through the grace of God and persistence, it's actually made us stronger today and a better marriage today, but getting to here, you know, it could have, we could have easily not along the way. And that that's real talk, man. I'm assuming that you weren't always, uh, this faith based, maybe, you know, young, uh, adult. When did you find faith and when did you really start hitting that? You know, uh, so I, I, even from a young age, I was, I would say that faith, but I kind of got away from it for most my teenage years and into my twenties. So probably when I was about, uh, 20, about a year, maybe after I started, uh, started my company, I guess being an entrepreneur will drive you in leaning on your faith. I never really thought about it, but yeah, that, that's probably kind of, it'll, it'll make you run to what you believe in. Um, that's super awesome. You talked a little bit, I don't mean to be switching gears all, all the time, but just my brain works that way. You talked about developing people, developing technicians, developing sales guys. Uh, walk us through the process of how you onboard um, a technician and what, what that process to get them up to speed. And So we hire, we hire and fire on our core values and we have a poster on our wall with our core values. Yeah. And we hire and fire around that. Uh, we are very slow to hire and quick to fire. I know that sounds crazy because not that we want to fire quickly, but, uh, we have a, we have a process now we do background checks. We do a personality test. We have a whole written out training process of, you know, step one, step two, ABC with our service managers signing off on competence as we go through it with the training uh, we are, uh, are doing a, I think it's ATP, ADP training with our service managers right now where they're riding with our technicians a lot, uh, long time to get there. We didn't always have that, but, 
it, it really helps to have those systems in place. Um, I think for many years we would hire people and I'd be frustrated because of a lack of uh, performance. But I had to relook really at myself. I really wasn't communicating and giving them the tools they needed to be successful. Just because I had done it for so long, it was very simple to me. I didn't understand somebody coming in, never having been in the industry. You know, we used to just throw somebody in a truck for two weeks and then cut them loose with a BNG, and I'd be mad that they wasn't doing stuff right. Like really mad. I'd be like, what's wrong? Why, how can you do that? So I had to do a lot of uh, soul searching and own that. I made a lot of mistakes as a young entrepreneur. And uh, now we have systems in place that really helps the technician grow. And if they do grow, we're very big on helping them get their license, sending them to training. Once again, we invest heavy in people that are high achievers that are doing it. But we're also now pretty good at holding the, the less the people that aren't really on par, not investing a lot. And really, they kind of get off our team because they don't they a lot of times they quit on their own because we've created a culture of excellence. And they'll literally start to feel uncomfortable around a bunch of other excellent people if they're not performing to that level. Yeah. Have you ever heard the sure you have called top grading just constantly bring in people that are really good and get rid of the, the lower people it's so funny that you that you say that because once again that's hard for me i'm a people person but i have an inside sales manager on my leadership team that i told her that principle and it went like this i said i read this thing about where you cut the lowest two performing people on your team it, yeah it gives you a higher performing team i was like but i really don't like that i was like that's kind of harsh it's not something i want to do well, she did it anyway. And although I still am kind of conflicted by the practice to be quite transparent, if the proof's in the pudding, we have a very high performing inside sales team. And I'll just, you know, I'm not saying do it or don't do it, but um, that's the story. That's a real story. That That's what happened. Yeah. What do you think is going to be the biggest impact on our industry in the next three to five years? Oh, man. I think... Uh, the roll-ups that are happening, all the all the small mom and pops being rolled up is going to have an impact in ways. Yeah, it's going to have impacts in ways that we, we don't know yet. Uh, I think AI, uh, as far as being used for marketing, for uh, call centers, I think uh, virtual assistants, VAs being used in the Philippines is going to have going to really start to have a huge impact on our industry. And then legislation, if we don't watch it, I think that there's a lot of laws coming down the pipe that if they actually pass can change our industry in some very different ways. Yeah. And I think the, I don't mean to call California out here, right? No, let's do it. Let's call out California. Let's, let's go. Let's, let's talk through that. So a few years ago, they banned certain products that we can't, that the technicians can't use. So uh, let's go with mice and rats for one. And they can't use bait outside anymore. Can't use bait at all. And go ask any person that lives in California how the rat and mice population is. Ask any ask any technician, ask any any business owner. Like it is absolutely insane. I, I heard that. I didn't know that for sure, but I, I did hear that they had cut out rodenticide, and that the homeless population they had like a literally a plague of sickness and illness run through the homeless population because the rodent population had gotten so bad they weren't able to control it, and it was causing a lot of disease. So can't we use California as an example of what not to do in many areas of the world? But California is the biggest one right now. Let's not copy that. Yeah, let's do the opposite of what they do. Yeah. I mean, I think they're U-Haul's number one state, right? Like everyone's moving out of there, moving to Florida or Texas. I don't need to get too political, but there's reasons why, right? What else do you see coming down the pipeline? Like AI, you have certain products we can't use. These roll-ups, like you said, definitely happening or the private equity firms is, and is that good or bad for us? I think it can be good depending on how you have a, what your mindset is on it. I think not just in our industry, but in, in small business in general, there's a, a, a loss of um, doing the, I want to, I don't want to say integrity, but like uh, having uh, like a culture, like it's getting corporate with a bunch of companies, right? I think convenience is king, and I think there's going to be a lot of opportunity for mid-level or small operators to bring a level of service that these roll-ups, not just in pest control, but in AC and all kind of other industries, it's happening. It's going to give us a unique opportunity. Uh, all those big companies are going to become corporate. They are super data-driven, and although I agree with being data, 
there's a certain size company that you still can, you know, know things that those corporate companies are going to lose. And I believe it's going to give us an area where we can exploit if we have the right mindset on it. So that, you know, so we'll be able to interact with our customers and know and see things and move faster than a lot of these giant companies are going to be able to do. For sure. How often do you get hit up? You know, that's a man. So I'm in a mastermind group that was in Tampa and I'm in there with some guys, some of them smaller than me, some of them bigger than me. And they all are like, yeah, we're getting hit up by P&Es and we're getting emails every day of people wanting to buy us. I tell you the truth. I'm not lying, Jonas. I've never been asked, talked about or approached by P&E or asked to bought out in my career ever. Not once. And I'm cool with it. But around some of these other my friends, I'm like, man, are we doing something wrong? And I don't think we are. I just uh, it's never happened. But I know it's happening to a lot of my friends. Been, yeah, you know, I'm today. one of them. It's an email or a phone call once a week, if not twice, cons over and over and over. It's like, yeah, we don't, we don't. And maybe it's my market. You know, we're in Southeast Louisiana. We have a lot of, uh, you know, hurricanes and floods and there's a lot of, uh, it's a lot of, a lot of hoops down here. Yeah. Yeah. You have, you have a great market. Uh, and you, you kind of talked about it a little bit in the very beginning, but what does the next five years look like for Lownings? I know you have some big goals some BHAGs. Uh, but for the next five years, what is that going to look like for you? Yeah. So we do have some big goals. We're trying to grow. We're grow. We have a growth mindset and we don't have any intention of selling. That's not because you do. You grow a company one way if you're planning to sell another way if you're not. And you and you have to know which one you're doing from from day one. When I started over, when I started this company, when I sold my last one, that was the number one question that my mentor asked me. Are you growing this to keep it or are you growing it to sell in whichever way you decide is fine. But they're both going to be grown separate. Two different ways. Absolutely. So we're growing to keep right now. Um, we're just focused on growth and we're going to be expanding within the next five years into two other markets. We're going to be expanding eventually into the Gulf Coast of Mississippi and into another market in Louisiana. Cool. Do you have, an, uh, have you thought through how you're going to open in those markets? Are you going to send a sales guy there? Are you going to send technicians there? Are you going to buy a small company? What's your thought? Man, so we've expanded into territories in the past and we've done it. We talked about ways. this a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So we've done it different ways. And as you learn, as you do. And so in the future, as we expand, we're going to do it different than what we've done in the past because we've, we've learned. So in the future, uh, if possible, we'll look to make small acquisitions. But in my experience so far, that can be very difficult. I've tried to make several small acquisitions. I've never been able to put one together. And I know that you do have to go through a lot of deals sometimes before you get one because it has to be the right culture, the right fit. You don't want to sort of buy anything or it can be a disaster. It has to be the right company. So if that's an opportunity that presents itself in the future, I'd love to have that opportunity. But if that doesn't happen, then we're going to, you know, we're going to start by getting a physical building in the location we want to go. We're going to focus in on our digital marketing. We're going to hire somebody that lives in that town. We're going to have our infrastructure supported. We're going to do door knockers, mass mailers. I mean, we're going to do it the way we know to do it. And we're going to uh, and we're going to pray it because it takes some prayer to go into a new market. We'll do all those things. For sure. And I couldn't agree with you more. If you were looking for a company to buy, would you look for sub one million, like around the six fifty seven hundred thousand, or would you go bigger? I had a mentor tell me one time and I, I, I believe him. He said it takes just as much energy and time to do a small deal as it does to, to do a big deal. So obviously I can't buy a $30 million company because I just can't. But honestly, I would want to look for uh, one to five million would be in my range of what I, I wouldn't want to do anything less than a million because I know how much hard work and time and effort it is to even do an acquisition. And, you know, anything less than a million, I just I wouldn't I wouldn't entertain it. That's just my personal how I feel. Very smart. And I would agree with you. Uh, again, my mentor said the same thing. We, we look at a lot of deals, like it seems like one or two a week, but they're all roughly the same size, nothing ever of size. And it takes just as much work and money as it does to buy something bigger than smaller. And it'll take more time uh, getting these two, two companies to merge together as a smaller company because, again, they don't have a, a, they don't have a leadership team. You know, they have probably had a technician or the owner does most of the work. It, so, yeah, you're not wrong. Cool. Uh, I know you're a reader and we always end the podcast. Like I said, we've already been on this thing an hour and it feels like we're just flying by. Besides the Bible, uh, what have been two of the most impactful books that you've read? How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. 
And then when I first started my sales career, I got big into Zig Ziglar. So see you at the top, anything by Zig Ziglar. But uh, there's so many books, man, that I've read that's been impactful. But off the top of my head, just being put on the spot, that Dale Carnegie and um, Zig Ziglar was real impactful to me as a young salesman. Yeah, I love that. Great books, both of them. Um, the last question for you of the day. You probably haven't listened to the podcast. You don't know what's coming. And I like it. What are you most proud of? Right now, what I'm most proud of right now, honestly, is um, what I've been able to do to, to actually pull myself out of my company and grow myself because I do have ambitions to continue to grow. And it was very difficult for me to step out of my business and start to work on me, which I believe is very necessary for me to be able to grow my company where I want to go. I believe a lot of times our company will only grow as much as you're willing to grow yourself. It's a lot so of the not, lead. Yeah, if we're not willing to grow ourselves, we'll cap where we're at. And for me, being a founder, being in the day-to-day for so many years, and honestly, having a lot of ego, it was very difficult for me to even be in this position where like today I woke up, I did my workout, I didn't even call any of my managers today. <laughs> you know, like I'm, I'm trying to be focused on other things and manage in a different way and having a lot of self-growth. And it was very difficult for me. So I'm very proud of myself for having been able to do that and really excited to see where we're going to go uh, with me willing to do this in the future. That's awesome. Uh, Jared, you have some definitely some big things ahead of you. Uh, I'm proud of you. Uh, I just got to know you. Again, we didn't get to chat a lot, but you're absolute stud. And I look forward to see what you're going to do. I know you'll hit your goals because you're just very determined and smart. Um, and it's been an honor and a yeah, pleasure to have you. I got to come on your podcast more often. You're making <laughs> me feel like just to come get some affirmation. Thank you, yeah, Jonas. Absolutely. Uh, but again, when you know people got it when you talk to them and you you got it, dude. And that's what it takes. Thank you so much. That's flattering coming from you. You you know, every, I, I know you just met you, but a lot of people that I'm in the industry know you and also talk well about you. So it's an honor, man. And coming from you, it's sincerely thank you. I really do appreciate that. Cool. Well, again, Jared, thanks for your time. I appreciate you spending the last hour with us. And you dropped a lot of bombs. I appreciate it. (laughs) All right, Jonas. You have a great day, man. Thank you again.